0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you get good at something? Well, if you want to be good at something, you need to practice over and over. You just do it. And the more you do it, hopefully, the more you improve. But if you really want to get good at something, you need to stop and think about it, too. You need to analyze and study and research and reexamine examine Think of people that want to improve their golf swing and they go to a coach who will maybe analyze the way they're standing and the way their arms move and if they keep their elbow crooked or straight, I can't remember which it's supposed to be. Or somebody that wants to practice basketball and how to do a perfect layup, how to run and how to jump and and how to put the ball into the the hoop. It helps to study and research and, and the professional's have their staff to take pictures and to measure things and to and to share all the technical details so they can improve. And when you want to be really good at something, you focus on it, and you, you work at it, and you put everything into it because you want to do it as best you can. When we have a famous golfer playing in a famous tournament... They're not just sitting there eating potato chips and eating ice cream, and when suddenly it's their turn. They go running over to the tee-off and randomly grab some club and kind of yawningly give it a whack. No, they focus because it's important to be the best you can. Now, the Bible tells us that the Christian life is described this way in the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul says this, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God wants for our lives. He wants our lives to be lives of never-ending rejoicing, never-ending prayer, Never-ending thanksgiving. That's the will of God. And if that's God's will, then we want to do it. And we want to do it well. We want to rejoice well. We want to give thanks well. And we want to pray well. And so every year, the church spends about two months doing prayer training. And we study the nuts and bolts of prayer. And this is an excellent time as we begin the section on prayer in the Heidelberg Catechism. Once again, this is an excellent time for us to reevaluate, to analyze our prayer practice as a congregation, and as individuals and as families and couples. How we pray, when we pray, why we pray, where we pray, what we pray. Now last year we focused especially on question and answer 116 in this Lord's Day. And today I want to focus on the last two questions and answers, 118 and 119, as we ask ourselves, what should I pray for? And the answer of the catechism is everything, all the things we need for body and soul. Well, what does it include? Maybe I feel that I really need money to buy a new sports car. I need it to move my body around town in style. And zoom along the country roads in the summer with the top down, that would be good for my soul. It would make me happy. So, is this a legitimate request for prayer? Is this something I need for body and soul? Well, we have to stop and ask ourselves who is the we here? Look at the answer there if you have your catechism open, all the things we need. Who is talking? Who is praying? And we remember the letter to the Ephesians. And we remember how God describes who we are in chapter 6. That we are a mighty, holy army of God and that every one of us is taking their place in the great battle formation as we stand firm against the waves of attack of the kingdom of darkness. And you remember there at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, there in verse 18, what the apostle told us. How do we stand firm in the Lord? Well, verse 18 tells us, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints. That's who is asking the question in the Catechism. The question in the Catechism is not from some worldly, fleshly, unbelieving person who lusts after the things of this world the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, that's not who is asking the question. But these are the church of God, members of the church of God who are asking the question. And what does Paul say to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter two, verse four? This is what he says about the soldiers in the army of God. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And that means that if you are a soldier of the cross, if you take your place and stand firm in, the, in that mighty formation, that holy array of God's army, and if you're doing that praying in the spirit, then your prayers will not be focused On the things of this world, but you will seek the things that are above. A true soldier will send messages to the headquarters asking for things to help him do the job. He will not ask for things which will distract from the mission. You can imagine that if A remote outpost of the army sends an urgent message to headquarters saying, please send the following items, some comfortable couches, some large screen TVs, and some beer fridges. Then we know there's something terribly wrong with that unit and they're not doing their job. They're not focused on who they are and what they have to do. And so the things we need for body and soul are the things that soldiers of the cross need to stand firm in the gospel, to stand firm in the love of God, to stand firm against the powers of the kingdom of darkness. The things we need to stand firm in the battle against the world, the devil, and our own flesh. The things we need so that we can take our places in the offices he has given us, marriage, family, And work. Now, the Lord Jesus has taught us a prayer which includes everything we need to ask. It is good for Christians to learn this prayer by heart, and it's good for parents to teach their children to learn this prayer as early as possible. In fact, it's a good habit to pray it daily together as a family. It covers every Thing which is important to ask for body and for soul. And it serves as a structure or a grid to build our own prayers. All the great prayers in Scripture align with the structure that Jesus provides us with in the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you have your psalm book open to page 560, and you see the Lord's Prayer Printed out there in question answer 119. It's good just to take this overview of it before we launch into the different petitions in the next weeks. And note how it begins and how it ends. It ends the way it begins. It ends and begins with God, with his glory, with his kingdom, with his will or his power. Because that is our greatest need that God would be God and that God would be glorified. If God is not our Father in heaven, if His name is not glorified, if His kingdom does not come, if His will is not done, then any request of ours for daily provision, for forgiveness, or for strength in the battle is all meaningless. Our lives are meaningless, our prayers are meaningless so Christ teaches us to put our daily prayers in perspective. We don't ask for daily bread because we're hungry. We ask for daily bread because we are soldiers in the mighty army of God. We are among that number which no man can count those children of God who offer themselves on the day of his power in holy array. And we ask for our daily rations so that we can do the job to which we have been called, so that we can fight the battles and prosecute the war and participate in that great, glorious, cosmic conflict between light and darkness as we seek to submit everything to the will of God, to advance the kingdom of God, and to magnify the glory of God. That's why we ask for our daily bread. And the same goes for the petition for the forgiveness of sins and the petition for deliverance from temptation and trials. Now it is so easy to fall into rote prayer. It's supper time. It's meal time. Maybe we have places to go after the meal. We're in a hurry. Sit down, fold our hands, close our eyes. Thank you for the food. Please bless it. Amen. It's so easy to do this out of context. It's so easy to do this without the context that the Lord Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. So it's important to use that grid, that structure that he teaches us. Even if it's just one line in our short prayer to put our petitions in context, the context of the glory of God, the kingdom of God, and the will of God. That's what Jesus did there in Luke chapter 22. We read it just a few moments ago. He's about to suffer the most agonizing suffering. He's about to experience the agonies of hell in the hours of darkness on the cross. And he prays. And he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's praying that last petition there lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But he's praying it in the context of those first petitions. Your will be done. He's asking for deliverance from trial and temptation, but this is not an ask focused solely on him and his needs and wants. The Lord Jesus is honest with the pain And the agony that he is facing, he prays more earnestly, says the gospel. The sweat becomes like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is not just a routine prayer asking God to remove a few problems from his life. This is not the Lord Jesus coming to God and demanding take away pain and suffering out of my life. Well, here we have the Lord in the fullness of his true humanity, and he is bringing in prayer to the Father. He's pouring out his soul, and he's saying, Father, what stands before me, the cup that you are giving me here, it looks like something that is impossible to go through. It looks too much. And so if it be possible, if you are willing, please take this away. But that's not all he asks. That's not all he prays. He says, but my life and the history of the universe does not revolve about me. It revolves about you. And so, Father in heaven, whatever your answer is to my request, whatever your answer to my cry of pain, let it be an answer which first of all hallows your name, advances your kingdom, establishes your will. And no matter how much that answer costs me, I will rejoice in it. I will give thanks for it. I will pray for that answer. And so the Lord Jesus puts his petition in the context of the glory, the kingdom, the will of God, which begins and ends the Lord's Prayer. Now many of us have heard and and perhaps used the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, a very useful and very helpful structure to build our prayers. But here's another approach we can use. We can take the Lord's prayer itself to structure our prayers. And the advantage is, is that it helps us remember to begin and to end with God, with his glory, his will, his power, his kingdom. And if that is the context, if that is the focus, then we will not be afraid to ask anything. What should I pray for? Anything. Anything to advance his glory. Anything to advance his kingdom. Anything to help us do his will. Now in John chapter 14... Verses 13 and 14, this is what the Lord Jesus says to his disciples. He says, This, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Did you hear what he said? He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why? Why will he do it? Why will he do what we ask in his name? For this reason, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There we have it again. The petition will be answered for the glory of God. And so when Christ asked for the cup to be taken from him, The father answered by not taking the cup away. The answer was this. My son, this cup cannot be removed. This cup must be drunk to the very last drop so that there's no wrath of God left for us you must drink this cup to the very last drop for the salvation of the elect and for the glory of God. That was the answer. Now, sometimes we ask God for something or we ask him to remove something. And his answer isn't quite what we had hoped for. We had hoped for relief from pain. We had hoped from healing, from disease. We had hoped for removal of inconvenience or discomfort or suffering. We had hoped for certain resources or opportunities or open doors. And we had prayed for those things. And God said, no. And yet, if we prayed in the name of Jesus, And if we prayed according to the instruction of Jesus, God said yes. Because if we have truly prayed in Jesus' name, if we have truly asked in Jesus' name, then we have asked like Jesus asked, and we have prayed like Jesus prayed. And how did he pray? Father, if you are willing... Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, grant my petition, but only if it increases your glory, if it advances your kingdom, if it establishes your sovereign will. And if that is the way we pray, if that is the attitude of our prayer, then, we will always be at peace with the answer. We will always rejoice in the answer because we will get what we desire. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is why everything exists. That. Is why we were created. That is why we exist. That is why we were saved, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that, in the end, is what we desire. That is what we long for. That is what we live for. That is what we want. That is what we ask for. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen.